welcome to another episode of Pod Club. The podcast where we dissect, laugh, and provide commentary on the insane number of podcasts we listen to. I'm Lauren. And I'm Brittany. And we're cousins who decided to take our views out of WhatsApp and share them with you, the listener. Happy Saturday, Brittany. Happy Saturday, girl. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm good. Long week. Adulting is trying to win the best of me, but we're making it work. How about you? It'll do that. Yes. (laughs) Um, Similarly, a long week, but I felt really productive at work. So I like that feeling. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, I found out Will Smith had a new podcast. I think I'm going to give it a listen. And then maybe that's one that we'll include on this, depending on how good it is. We'll see. But I saw a clip of his podcast talking to Jaden. And I just think the father-son situation is so cute. cute. So maybe it'll be worth reviewing on the pod. I love that. Speaking of Will Smith, last night I decided to watch Bad Boys 3. Mm-hmm. Terrible. <laughs> I'm, I was literally like, y'all could have kept this, honestly and truly. Why did you do this? I thought you were going to say you liked it, but I'm glad that this was no. your review. I could have done without it. I don't know why it had to be made. I feel no. like this movie tried to change the dynamic of who Will's character is meant to be hmm. in the Bad Boy universe, and you just don't play that role. Mm. Like, I understand they were trying to give Mike Lowry his own thing, but you needed Martin. For sure. You need Martin in this universe. I don't know if, listener, if you've seen the movie, but I'm about to spoil it. It's been years. <laughs> it's been years. What do you mean that's your son? What? I'm confused. That seemed like the most random storyline, and I was pissed off. Martin pissed me off because what do you mean you don't want to use a gun and they're shooting at you as you're doing a high-speed chase down the street? What? <sighs> that, to me... I was so annoyed. That to me feels like when sometimes we go a little too far with mixing world politics or world points of view in movies. For characters like the ones in Bad Boys, it's like, get rid of this whole gun politic. I get it. I get it. He's traumatized by these things. He doesn't want to live that way. Okay, fine. But Mm -hmm. that doesn't work in the Bad Boys universe. It simply does not. Pick up the gun, get it done. Get it done. What do you mean you want to pierce his soul? He's tr- he's slap boxing you at this Get point. Get it done. Like in Bad Boys 2, we had an entire 360 Michael Bay, which by the way, Michael Bay was not the director for part three. So that should have told us ah, that, makes sense. that it wasn't going to be what it needed to be. But we had an entire 360 shootout between them and those Haitian yes. gangsters. And it was life. Okay. Because yes. that's what we want in an action movie. Yes. I was so yeah, no, I was pissed. I was like, I literally sat on my couch and was like, why did I waste my time? Yeah, I just think in this one, so Will is not a comedian. He can be funny, but he's not a comedian. Mm-hmm. Martin is. And so I yeah. felt like there were too many times where where Mike Lowry was trying to be the funny man and the straight man. And it's like, nah, yeah. that's not your role. And no. then Martin was gone for far too much of the story. Yeah, it just it just didn't hit for me. They missed the mark. They could have just kept it at two because I was satisfied with one and two. Two is my favorite. I actually like two better than one, but they could have kept three. Honestly, it was it was so bad. No, nah, I liked one better so than two story wise. But anyway, this isn't a movie podcast. No, we're not talking about movies. <laughs> We've got some stuff to get into today. In episodes one and two, we reviewed the podcast King Slime, the prosecution of Young Thug and YSL. But this time we are giving the listeners a little medley of a podcast to broaden their horizons. If you can't tell by the title of this episode, listener, we are going to be talking about love. The pods we're about to review prompted the question, 
are there different forms of love? The first that we have in this medley of podcasts is Love mm -hmm. Letters, the best partner I ever had. Now, Love Letters is a podcast brought to us by the Boston Globe. Its host is Meredith Goldstein, and she pretty much deals with all manners of love and all their iterations. And in this particular story, this episode, she speaks with a man named Kumar, who has a really expansive definition of love, I think. And it was mm -hmm. so beautiful yeah. to listen to. Absolutely. Um, the most interesting parts about this, for me anyway, it brought up this idea of different partnership paradigms. Yeah. 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 That was the most interesting part for me. And quite honestly, very relatable because I have a close relationship with my parents. It did sort of open up your thought process about different partner paradigms yeah. and what love look, looked like for him. Um, definitely a tearjerker, <laughs> but, a, but a beautiful one. Yeah, I feel like, and I think we're getting into this conversation more and more these days, society overemphasizes the two-person partnership as the mm -hmm. key to happiness and joy and love in society. And let's be honest, they're talking heterosexual partnership, romantic mm -hmm. partnership, but even outside of that, the next step is same-sex partnership. It's always two people. It's never this mm -hmm. idea of, well, what if your cousin is a partner to you? What if your sibling or someone else, your best friend is a partner to you? It never talks about that. Mm -hmm. This podcast does a good job of presenting that idea. Yeah, I agree. I related to a lot of it because even the host, she talked about the closeness of the relationship with Kumar, in addition to that, the closeness to her sister and how that made her understand that there are different forms of love and they do look different. It's not your traditional partner relationship. It was relatable for me because as I've gotten older, I've been able to take a wider look at what are the relationships I have in my life. That way it's not like, oh, I'm single. I don't have anything. No, I, I foster so many different levels of relationships and it makes my life feel much more well-rounded because I am single, if that makes any sense. So you just hit on something, actually. What this podcast brought up for me is this idea of primary partnerships. Take away the love mm -hmm. component, because when people think partnership, they automatically think love, romantic yeah. love specifically. But if you take that romantic love out of it, what does a primary partnership look like? What does it mean? What value system does it hold? And how mm -hmm. is that not equally as important? Mm -hmm. You mentioned the host, Meredith Goldstein, talking about her and her yeah. sister. And at mm -hmm. first thought, when I first heard her mention her sister being shocked that her assets and things like that would go to yeah. her husband and not to her sister, my initial thought was like, of course it will. But then as I thought about that, I'm like, oh, but wait, it is very possible for your relationship with someone outside of your romantic partner to be so much more layered, dynamic, and important to you than that romantic partner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the sister came first. <laughs> the sister came first. And I think it also, at least from my viewpoint of it, it can be balanced. I don't know if it's one is more important than the other. I don't even know if you could say equally important. Maybe they're just important. That's fair. They're just important in different ways. In different ways. Yeah. People really do have a hard time with realizing 
things aren't as traditional. People have a hard time viewing things can be as expansive as they can be if you allow that to be. If whenever I get a partner, I'm still going to foster the same relationships that I had before this person. And I would hope whoever that person is can understand that. And I would also encourage them to continue to foster the relationships that they had before me. I just think that's incredibly important. I agree. And I often think about Eartha Kitt saying, I love me and I want to share me with someone else. And included mm-hmm. in that loving me is everyone else that I love and support and encourage along the way. Mm-hmm. You are adding to that. And hopefully that is also your desire where you're pouring into my relationships and I'm pouring into your relationships. And then that's yeah. how we become a unit. But I, I feel like in our society, the conversation is so two people oriented, where not only do you have this insane loneliness and lack of village, but you also don't know how to fit the business contract of marriage, right? Mm-hmm. Are we evolved enough in our understanding of partnership, romantic partnership? And I feel like we're getting a little bit off the plot of the actual podcast, but I want to go there anyway. Are we evolved enough to entertain that idea that someone else is a part of this prenuptial understanding? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if we feel like we have to have ownership of a person yeah, once they become yeah. our partner. And it's it's to me, it's incredibly selfish. I'm learning as I get older and as I build my own relationship in my singlehood. And because I have so many different relationships, those people aren't mine. They are a part of my life and we share this life together in the time that we have, but they're not mine. I don't have ownership. They're not my property. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the moment people realize this is not my property, I think we can invite a more balanced and mature conversation about fostering healthy relationships that can balance your life. I think we just get caught in a two black and white perspective of how we think people should be for us when that's that's not what they're here for. Yeah, yeah I fully agree. And, and that resonates with me deeply because I have, just like you, I mean, I have an incredibly close relationship with my mother. I joke all the time that she and I have the best marriage that ever existed. <laughs> <laughs> and I think if I were to meet somebody who was uncomfortable with that, oh my God, do you know how quickly I would never talk to that person oh. again? <laughs> Out, out the door. What do you mean? <laughs> it's just because I don't even imagine a world where the appreciation of other relationships in my life is not there. No, that's facts. Because I'm also incredibly close with my mom. In fact, shout out to you, Mommy Renee. We have a matching tattoo. So, so like, me and my mom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Our moms are sisters, guys. If you didn't catch that, <laughs> we're kind of veering off a little bit. But I think that also invites a conversation about people do have different relationships with their family. And I think, let's say for an example, a person who is not that close with their family and they're okay with it being a great distance. They're okay with not talking to them like that. And then they meet a person like me. I talk to my mom and my dad pretty much every day. They might wonder, why are you talking to them every day? You're an adult. Don't judge it. Try to understand it because my life has been different. It was like this before I met you. So you got to give me room to still foster that while also knowing you are an accessory to my life too. Yeah. We're just, it's just different levels. And I think people really have to, we have to really respect it. You might not understand it, but you got to respect it. And here's the thing. If you don't buy, like I will, when I tell you there will never be a person to come into my life that 
will even consistently ask me questions like, why do you talk to your mom every day? Get out of my life. <laughs> like, <laughs> get out of my life. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but I want to branch out even beyond the family unit. There's this set of friends. There's a black guy and a white British guy. I don't know what part of England they're in, but they're best friends and they bought a home together. They bought a home together. They went on this whole journey of like doing a fixer upper. It's been hilarious. They have a great time. And they just decided that they're best friends. They're essentially partners, life partners that wanted to go in on these things. They couldn't individually do it. Maybe they could at some point. It would have taken longer, right? Doing mm -hmm. anything alone takes longer. But they bought a home together and they started this whole social media presence around the renovation of it. The white British friend just proposed to his fiance, and she fully knows that this is where they live. This is the dynamic mm -hmm. and this is what's going on. And that's the kind of thing that I would love to see society more open to. Mm -hmm. But part of it is when we talk about love in our society, it's so limited. Mm -hmm. It's so limited. I have, I've had this conversation with a friend before about the use of love and, and how it carries so much and it carries different things for different people, but it's still somehow so incredibly limited. And I wonder if it's limited because we got rid of, of all the explanations of different types of love. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. So like the Greeks... They came up with a bunch of words, but we know a few of them. There's like the agape love, which is um, brotherly love, charity, love of God, and stuff like that. There's the eros, which is the sexual love. There's just all these different types of love that they identified, and they didn't just keep it in one bucket <laughs> to mm -hmm. say love, yeah. because I think that means something different for everybody. So I guess my question for you, and maybe the listener... Do you think we might benefit from expanding our definitions of love or our different love types? Yeah, I do. 1000%. Because as you were explaining that, my immediate thought was, I, I hope one day we realize we are expansive beings. We can occupy different spaces. We're not just one thing. I do think if we expand what we think we know, that would invite more of an understanding or an appreciation for community. I want to distinguish expanding the definition of love from what we understand romantic love to be, because I don't necessarily think, and some a listener who fits this bracket can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm not necessarily talking about polyamory, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because that, so far from what I've seen, that tends to just kind of expand your romantic love but that's still mm -hmm. just one kind of love spread across multiple people nothing wrong with that right. but in my understanding that's still in the romantic love category but what about the love you have for your best friend the love you have for your nieces nephews your cousins and friends and just all the people that you might encounter in your life where you're like i am solid enough in this connection i have with this person i want it to continue to occupy a space in my life that when i do introduce a romantic love that's going to be a part of it mm -hmm. um yeah so i think that's an important distinction because yeah I, I think we even in talking about this i can see how a person would think well i mean that's what polyamory is for but i still think mm -hmm. that's just romantic love spread across multiple people but i would yeah. love to 
get a different perspective if it's out there yeah about that comment on our instagram (laughs) (laughs) yeah but listen to this podcast um it's a really sweet one the partner that kumar because we didn't really talk much about him but he went through a difficult time in the podcast we don't want to give you too much because the story was really interesting it goes through him finding his own identity him detailing some of his fears around that identity and navigating it with family and friends and there's a bit of romantic love in there but the best partner he's ever had is not a romantic love and i think it's worth Mm -hmm. listening to what that experience is and identifying within yourself who are your primary partnerships or do Mm -hmm. you have a primary partnership and is it a romantic love or not maybe Also challenge yourself to ask if we're putting too much pressure on a romantic partner to be a primary partnership. Yeah. Maybe your romantic partner is not the primary. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But definitely listen to this podcast. It's called Love Letters, The Best Partner I Ever Had. It is a podcast brought brought to us by the Boston Globe. The the host is Meredith Goldstein. We'll probably spin around a few times on this podcast because there's different letters, different seasons that focus on different aspects of love. But it was a good one. It was really sweet. I cried twice in a good way. It was so good. (laughs) It was so good. It was so lighthearted. Yeah, it just opened so many things because I related so much to what Kumar was sharing and what the host was sharing too. But... Yeah, it was it was great. And one of the last things that he mentioned is love doesn't have to be what we traditionally think it is. And I think that's beautiful. Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't have to be that. Open yourselves up to different love types and take a listen and let us know what you think. The following podcast contains material that may be harmful or traumatizing to some audiences. So now we transition into our second pod. This is actually happening. This is a weekly podcast, a first-person storytelling podcast hosted by Wit Misseldeen. This show features uncanny, extraordinary true stories of events that have dramatically altered the lives of ordinary people told by people who live them and explores the question, what happens when everything changes? So this episode that we're talking about in particular what if your wife has 21 personalities? When I first saw that, I was like, ooh, I'm interested. And I'm not going to lie, listener, this this story, I did not anticipate it to be what it was. I don't know if you felt that way when you listened to well, it. Well, because I came into it already afraid, I mm. it, it kind of hit those marks, um, mm-hmm. but it was more intriguing. So I guess in that way, it was more than what I anticipated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it, it was probably my little therapist brain that was like, ooh, I'm interested. What what rabbit hole are we going to go down today? But I, I'll try not to tell too much of the pod. But basically, this is a story about, is it Matthew? And then his wife, Latanya. So Matthew, because this is sort of relevant, is a white man. He pretty much grew up poor. He grew up in the super segregated times. Fast forward, he ends up meeting his wife, Latanya. Well, before we even fast forward. Wasn't he a skinhead? Or he, or at, at the very least, he joined white power yeah. movements. So he was racist. Yes, he was racist. He joined a, a metal band and he was a part of a gang. That was the white power group. Yes. White Death Mob in California was the name of the band. He went as far as getting a white power tattoo. And as soon as his mother saw that, she said, not on my watch. 
we are getting that taken off because we're not doing that. It wasn't like in his household they talked about racism. He just from as a child, he just saw how different like black people had their side, white people had their side. So just to paint that picture, listener, it's very segregated times. Can, can we and pause then, for a second on that? Like, so he didn't grow up with his family talking about that. And clearly his mother didn't agree. But it's always interesting to me what people gravitate toward when they are just a flag in the goddamn wind. He grew up and had no center, had no identity for himself, and somehow found it within metal and within the white power community in California, and that became his new identity. Mm-hmm. But that, that yeah. to me, is no different than cults. When you're in that fragile space, it's the same thing. It's, anything's going to get mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Anything yeah. that makes you feel like you mean something to somebody. And then his life changed. Now, I don't remember at what point the Jehovah Witness knocked on his door. It was clearly in his adulthood. It's actually shocking mm-hmm. that he let the person talk to him, considering he was so racist. But that's how you know that the racism that he still says that he lives with today, and he has to bat, he has to contend with and keep off of him to this day. He says that in the podcast. The racism wasn't stronger than his just need for connection. Mm-hmm. Ain't that nothing? Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. So he actually ends up getting baptized as a Jehovah Witness, that changes his life. He is in a black church. All black, very clear. All black. And let me tell you something. When he said that he went to the cookout, I said, oh, he was literally invited to the cookout. Seemed like he had a great time. And then he meets his wife, Latanya, who is a black woman. And the church were like, do you, are you aware of what you're getting yourself into? So tell me, how did that translate to you? Because I think we had two different translations of it. I just took it to mean she is a single mother of two and Mm -hmm. she's black. Are you sure? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think about the the single mother part. My immediate thought was, oh, she's a black woman. Do you know that this is going to be an interracial marriage or relationship? Are you prepared for how different your life is going to be, the looks that you're going to get, all of that? The main reason why that wasn't the initial thought is because they're in the San Francisco Bay Area. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. interracial relationships there. So not that that didn't come to mind for them, but I don't know that that was the chief thing as much as like, she's got two kids and you're single, you have nobody. Do you want to be dad? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good point. Good point. And so he pretty much tells the story of how they transitioned into being married, the survival mode that they were in at the time. And then that goes into the care that he had for his wife as she was dealing with her own mental illness. Again, listener, not to give too much detail into it, but he describes his wife's childhood and how that impacted her development into adulthood and how that ultimately impacted their relationship. I did not anticipate this being a love story. I, it did not cross my mind at all. But as I listened to it more, I was like, oh my God, this man cares for his wife so deeply. It was an unmatched kind of love. I'm, I'm telling you. We just talked about non-romantic partner love. Mm-hmm. I felt like this story was not only romantic partner type of love, but it was literally all the other types of love you could possibly have um, within yes. one person to a yes. woman who was housing all these versions of herself. And by the way, yes. that's not a spoiler. The podcast is called What If Your Wife Had 21 Personalities? So I think, listener, you can deduce what it means mm-hmm. when I say she's holding multiple <laughs> things within herself. Yeah. But yeah. I was so moved by the level of care 
And then I thought, because we know it goes into his history, and I don't know if this is the tendency to try to create meaning in things, but he went through a lot in his young life. Yeah. Alone, a lot of it, because his siblings who were older left. But it made me say all of those things that happened to him uniquely suited him to mm. be this for her. Yeah. Before you said that, my my thought was, because I forgot that he wasn't an older sibling, but listener, he does talk about what he witnessed as a child with his stepfather and his mom and how that dynamic changed into him being pretty much angry for a good part of his life. And you're right. Like he even said, like, I felt like I needed to protect my mom. So he already had a protective spirit in him. Now, did he know that that was going to continue into his marriage? Absolutely not. But it was very evident he was in survival mode and probably to his demise, really. I wouldn't say demise. I think you can only say demise if that's how it ended. It did end beautifully, even though Mm -hmm. there were some lumps, major lumps. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that I would say demise. I would say mm-hmm. okay. there were difficult times where that childhood, that experience was a wall that he had to try to get through, but he kept getting through them. It yeah, was a at literal masterclass in trauma. <laughs> and yes. granted, we're only getting a tiny sliver of all the things that are going on. I'm sure he didn't feel that way. He feels that way now, but I'm sure he didn't mm-hmm. feel that way in the process of it but Mm -hmm. just hearing that story I'm like I don't even know that I possess all those different types of love when faced with that kind of dynamic yeah I asked myself that question because vows you it lists every single thing that you are committing to in sickness and in health because you'll get those different stages as you age as you go through life Any number of things. He had to be so many different things for his wife. Literally all the types of love that the Greeks used to talk about. (laughs) Yes. Because she had experienced significant trauma in her childhood, he did not want to abandon her. He wanted to be the very thing that was the most constant thing in her life. But what got me is him saying, because she deserved it. Oh, come on, somebody. Because she deserved it. I was like, what is going on? (laughs) What is in this man? Somebody did something right. Yeah. I'm not going to abandon her with all of these versions of herself. I can't do that because she deserves me to protect her and love her. Yeah. And he, it's not anything anybody would predict for themselves. He would never, there's no part of the human brain that could have imagined this kind of scenario. This is the stuff that you dream up in sci-fi books. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, this is Mm -hmm. not, you just would never predict anything like this. And every step Mm -hmm. of the way, he seemed to be rising to the occasion to be what was required at any given point. And then while being what was required, trying to learn himself to be what was required for himself. Mm Mm-hmm. That's like textbook (laughs) self-awareness. In the midst of true chaos. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's children being raised while he's doing all of this. He's working so many hours. He's helping her pay for her therapy. He couldn't get his own. So like the definition of survival mode, but also being a caretaker. There didn't seem to be any confusion on what he experienced. And he was pretty vulnerable in sharing. It was hard. Yeah. But she deserved it, and I was not leaving her at all. 
at all. And it had gotten to a point where things had worsened and she needed more intense care. Now, when they talked about the therapy and then it went to like three times a week, I said, man, that's, in, that's intense. Yeah. And this was, this she is not really 2023, three times a week. This is in the past no. where who knows what the resources look like at that time? Who knows what, what healthcare looked like to pay for things like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And she wasn't working mm-hmm. by then, Mm-mm. I think. Um, but we we're talking a lot about him because he was such a phenomenal person to be telling this kind of story. It was mm-hmm. amazing. But I, I can't imagine what it was to be in her body. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Now, even when he describes what he was experiencing from her, I wondered, like, what was, like, yes, it is partnership, right? But the the many personalities that he described, did he feel like a husband or did he feel like a caretaker? Well, I think depends on which one showed up. True. I think he always had the romantic love for her, but I think it was so much bigger than that, that mm-hmm. he was okay with that taking the back seat. Because remember, he said that she kept urging him, like, just go find somebody else who can help take care of you. She was aware that she wasn't a partner. So in mm-hmm. this case, we talk about primary partner. It wasn't a partnership after a while, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It was a caretaker, mm-hmm. but it was still just so moving because she couldn't help it. She couldn't help it. She, she no. couldn't, there's, I, that's why I'm like, I can't imagine what it is to have been in that body. But when I yeah. mentioned earlier about, I didn't cry about it. I had rage <laughs> throughout yeah. the entire time. I was absolutely enraged about every failure along the way in that woman's life for her to have ha- had to create those personalities just to live, mm. just to survive. And it was a moving story if we were to think about things from her perspective. It's amazing that she was able to grow up as an adult, become a full human that could go out into the world and get a job and take care of herself, become an IRS agent after everything Mm -hmm. she's been through. Mm -hmm. My mom says all the time, people be living some lives. Mm -hmm. And she didn't ask for it. She hated every second of it. She wanted the love of her mother, all these things. And I understand generational stuff, but when I tell you I absolutely lacked compassion entirely for her mother, I mean it. I mean, I... (laughs) I have zero compassion for her mother. Zero. Yeah. It it was truly disgusting. I can't imagine, especially when he talks about the first traumatic event for her. This baby was four years old. And even then, her brain said, we got to protect ourselves. We got to... At four... Now, there was something that he had pointed out. I don't know if if maybe I misheard. I'm not sure. But he said the personalities didn't show around the children. Oh, did he say that? that? That's what I wrote down. That's what he said. But then, as I'm saying it out loud, he had mentioned one of the personalities. I thought he said it was a part of all of our family. It was a part of our family. I thought that meant that the kids knew. There was one of the personalities that that turned into the little girl and would play. With the daughter. With with the daughter. Yeah. 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 Listener, yeah. just to clarify, again, the podcasts are first person accounts. And so he goes in and he starts to detail a few of the personalities that she has. So that's kind of what mm-hmm. we're talking about right now. Right. So she was diagnosed with dissociative identity disorder, which was previously known as multiple personality disorder. And that type of diagnosis, your brain is trying to protect itself mm-hmm. to keep those memories under control. Mm-hmm. And for her case, as he's telling the story, it's a time capsule. Sophie happened at this point. The beast happened at this point. 
Paisley happened at this point, like literally at every stage of her life, there was some significant trauma. That created that personality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when I first heard that, when they said that they took her to the doctor to figure out what was going on, I just knew it was going to be schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. So I now have two questions since she just said that dissociative identity disorder used to be multiple personality disorder. Why did they change it from multiple personality disorder? Because what's the difference between being clear that way? Mm -hmm. And then what's the difference between what she had and schizophrenia? Yeah. Now, the first question, I'm not quite sure why they changed it. There probably was some type of research that some psychologists did per whatever participants they had for them to change that. And so even with schizophrenia, I could see how they can be confused because the symptoms that they have sort of emulate Mm. one another. But... With dissociative identity disorder, the main difference with that diagnosis compared to schizophrenia is that DID is more associated with significant trauma, whereas schizophrenia is more associated with a person's genes. So on one in one sense, schizophrenia, like you do call, get disturbances with thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, but it's not different identities. That's the main difference there. Like Okay. So I did not know that schizophrenia was a genetic thing. Can be, yeah. And truly, all diagnoses have some aspect of each other, right? Like a person who might have major depressive disorder might have some auditory hallucinations. It really just depends on the chemical imbalance within the person. Hmm. It can be a genetic thing. Okay, Dr. B. Oh, I know that's right. So uh, two things are coming up for me as, as you were talking. One, there's something so fascinating and beautiful about the fact that the brain or the body is doing whatever is required so that you can survive. Mm -hmm. This is too much. Let us partition this so that we can Mm -hmm. go on and do these other things. Mm -hmm. You know, it's prioritizing survival at all costs. And yes, this is wild. This is a wild story. I've never heard anything like it. Like Mm -hmm. I said, it feels like science fiction, but there's something beautiful about the fact that you're body is trying to survive yeah the best way it knows how and for some it is cutting this and Mm -hmm. putting it over there and the second thing is people dealing with their trauma people unearthing things that they might have forgotten because even that is a part of what the brain is doing like you literally bury it and don't remember it and I know my mom has said this plenty of times and listener yes I'm talking about my mom again (laughs) we be talking all the time so she's be saying stuff But she's like, some stuff you don't need to dig up. Some stuff you don't need to remember. Let me know your thoughts on that. I think it depends on the relevancy. Sometimes we don't know, right? And so me as the therapist, because truly what you're coming in is for a presenting problem, a a, a good part of the time, Mm -hmm. right? But then as I sit, observe, we have these conversations, I might feel prompted to ask, well, where do you think this stems from? Oh, I didn't even... I remember when I was this age and I was told this, oh, dang, that's kind of, so I don't usually lead with that, but it just depends on how relevant it is, depending on what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. But I try to balance that with clients because they want to know every single thing. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, hold on, be careful. (laughs) Let's start slow because if we open this box, you got to be ready because then you don't know. And I wouldn't want a person to slide down into a rabbit hole and then it's, they're too far into that and I can't bring them back out of you. Yeah. So it really just depends on where a person is at 
putting that person, the therapist to the side, I kind of agree with that. I don't know if everything has to be, because life is so, it's so expansive. Like you just, everything can't be pulled apart. Everything can't be investigated. Everything just doesn't have to be. I think it just depends on how relevant it is. And if there is something that's impacting your functionality now, okay, then maybe we gotta, maybe we have to talk about it. Yeah. I have utmost respect for mental health professionals. It is nothing to play with. It can be wildly destructive and it could be wildly beneficial. But yeah, man, this, what if your wife has 21 personalities? This one took my heart for sure. It was a beautiful story. Obviously some ups and downs, but beautiful when we talk about partnership, the different levels of that and the commitment to a person. Mm -hmm. I've never heard of anybody more committed than this man, ever. Speechless. Ever. Speechless. <laughs> he might be Jesus. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Not Jesus. He might be Jesus because this is like, what? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It, it's aspirational, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they this still was... loved each other all the way through. I mean, he still wanted to go places and do stuff. And, you know, when the kids grew up, let's go see yes, the world. Oh like. God. Can that was my favorite part. Can you even? Like, let's go see the world. Oh my God, that was my favorite part. Like, it was beautiful. This was... It was beautiful. All right, Matthew Fanning. Matthew Fanning. Yeah, it was really beautiful. And it, I don't want to necessarily say a test, but we can love each other. Mm -hmm. We really can. Unconditionally. Unconditionally. We really can. It is possible to love unconditionally. I'm like, I got to start loving different. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. That absolutely does not include Dusty's, but I got to start <laughs> loving different. <laughs> Listener, this man did not prepare for At this. All. She did not prepare for this. This was not a life that she asked for. Her life just so happened to fall into a place where she met this person at church and they decided to commit to each other and he chose to be there for her. That's the biggest thing. Bell Hooks talks about love. You choose love. It's an act. There's a responsibility to it. I think that was a mic drop moment. So thanks, Brittany. This was a good one. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> this is a good one. So because this episode in particular does touch on mental illness and trauma, if you or someone you know are struggling with effects of trauma or mental illness, please refer to the link in our description. We provide resources. We know that this might be a difficult episode, but there are certainly some resources that can offer you some support. And that's on Dr. B. So third up to bat is why won't you date me? Breaking up with Eric Andre. Not breaking up with Eric Andre, but it's breaking up <laughs> with Eric Andre. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there's a difference. There's a difference. <laughs> this is a podcast uh, hosted by Nicole Byer. You may know her from Nailed It. On Netflix. Yeah. She's a comedian, actress from, um, what's the show you really love? Grand Crew. Grand Crew. Oh my God, that is my jam. I hate that they didn't renew it for season three. I know. Yeah. So this is actually, this is one of my favorites because <laughs> it's so silly and funny. But anyway, Why Won't You Date Me is a podcast where she, Nicole Byer, tries to figure out why she's still single, even though she used to say something really wild about all the things she would do just to get love. But now she's saying, I've been asking about this for a really long time and nobody knows. <laughs> she literally said, I mean, we're on episode 300 and we still don't know. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so um, in this episode, she has Eric Andre. As a guest, she interviews comedians, actors, and stuff like that all the time. 
but she has Eric Andre on there, and you might know Eric Andre from the world-renowned meme. Why would you say something so, what was it? Like he's leaning back in the seat. Why would you say something so brave and so controversial? Something like that. Anyway, he's hilarious. He's also got a show, um, the Eric Andre show on Adult Swim, which I also find really hilarious. He's an actor and a musician, goes under the stage name Blarf. But anyway, Mm. Eric Andre has to be, (laughs) has to be the most chillaxed, unbothered human being on the face of planet Earth. (laughs) <laughs> gotta be because he was definitely eating chips or whatever on this episode. <laughs> he was like he was like oh can I do that she's like sure <laughs> I was cracking up I'm talking like I have never heard a more chill person on a podcast ever I think he was probably standing <laughs> up at one point and walked away like I'm like this he is so chill he's like whatever like let's just have a good time okay <laughs> I love that I love yes, that free spirit the most Chillax. So we won't go into exactly what happened on the podcast because you're supposed to listen to it and see what happens. Mm-hmm. But Nicole is now taking listener letters, which is news to me. She didn't used to do that, but a listener letter came up. So we're going to go over a couple of themes in the mm-hmm. episode. She talked about vision cool. boards because the the question is the why won't you date me? And she's always asking a guest, what should I do? And Eric, <laughs> and Eric is like, you should do a vision board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was like, I used to do that, have it over my bed, and you know what? Everything on my vision board came true, so maybe I'll do that. <laughs> but like, who says vision board in 2023? That is hilarious to me. Like, be serious, sir. He's, he's messing with her. <laughs> yes. But hey, he was like, you know what? She asked for help. That's the best thing I can offer you. <laughs> vision board. Have you ever made a vision board? I have. I have. I usually encourage my clients to do a vision board, especially when they kind of have trouble with like figuring out how they want to to lead their lives. So I've definitely done a vision board. Well, my bad, because here I was talking mess about vision boards. And you're like, <laughs> actually, I tell my clients to, I'm like, oop, let me shut up. But you know what, though? <laughs> People do think that they're super corny. But then when you think about it, I don't know how this is going to sound, but like some, it depends on the person, right? So like, it's typically like... Has how you've done things, has that worked for you? Maybe let's consider something different. And so again, it could be a fun activity. You can put whatever you want on it and it could just be like your goals or just anything. I always tell them like, just use old magazines and put whatever you want on there. Yeah. And just live your life. Okay. Okay. My bad. All you vision board people out there, vision board baddies. (laughs) I was the one that was saying y'all people are corny. My bad. I didn't mean to do that. I guess, I guess it's more like, What's a vision board going to do for her for finding a man? That's what she was asking. Like, what what should I do? Yeah. Like, is she going to put Idris Elba or Lance Gross <laughs> on her vision board and be like, this the one? Like, how does it work? Yeah. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know what he meant when it came to that for her, especially with dating. But maybe the vision board for her could have been something on like, you know what? I don't know. <laughs> I think he was messing with her. I think he's like, he's eating Cheetos, probably hot Cheetos, Cheeto dust on his fingers. And he's like, I don't know, maybe do a vision board. She's like, oh, I should. It's basically an improv moment. Like he was not being serious. Oh my God. Um, There was, okay. Then they also, they also talked about um, therapy. This actually was a listener letter and they talked about, the idea of getting a person to go to therapy. 
I'm firmly on the side of you can't get nobody to do nothing. Yeah. You can talk about it. You can suggest it, but you can't make nobody go to therapy. You cannot make a person go to therapy. But I often wonder, even for myself, a person, your partner saying no to therapy, the idea or the reality that they're like, no, I'm good. How does that translate to you, the person who's suggesting it? Because for for me, then what are you saying to me? Are you saying like you like this the way that it Mm -hmm. is? What are you saying? Yeah. So yes, while on one end, yeah, you can't force a person to do anything. But then does that mean the relation stays the way that it is? Because it just might. See, this is why I don't think I'm built like Matt Fanning, right? Because I feel like (laughs) you are telling me that you're fine. Ooh, remember on TikTok when that girl posted the the Reddit that said like, this man was uh, operating in an acceptable level of unhappiness or something like that? Mm. This idea that one partner is fine with a certain level of unhappiness between the two of you, but the other partner is saying, no, this is an unacceptable level of unhappiness. And you say no to therapy. It's like, uh, it's still unacceptable for me. So I got to go. I got to go. And that's That's not on the ultimatum stuff. That's like, I'm dead serious. My standards are this. This is an unacceptable level of unhappiness for me. I'm heartbroken. I'm devastated that you don't want to work on it with me. I'm devastated that this is acceptable to you. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that, that translates to me in so many different ways. And I would probably, and I could be biased. I would probably feel the same way if I was not a therapist. Oh, absolutely. Because you're telling me that you don't want to work on something. Here's the thing. I'm confusion. If one person is telling, like airing a grievance and they're having a hard time understanding where it's coming from or workshopping it with you, that means we ain't got the tools, bro. (laughs) We ain't got the tools. I'm saying, let's go get some tools. And you telling Mm -hmm. me no? Bro, I will Mm -hmm. get my own tools and 99% of the time, that means we about to break up. (laughs) Because if I go get these tools and you're not with me getting these tools, chances are I'm going to grow beyond you. There's either a breakup or my client stops coming to me. See, that breaks my heart. They stop coming to me because they already know the truth and they're probably not ready to make any type of decision. But like they, they end up, they don't come back because... They're asking me for boundaries. You can't boundary your way out of something that does not feel good for you. I don't think you can draw a picture. And if they're still choosing to say, no, I'm good, they've decided. That they're okay with an acceptable level of unhappiness. And I'm not. I got to go. What do I say all the time, Brittany? I can do hard things. If I got to cry for the next six months because I left you, bro. Then I'm going to cry for six months. <laughs> I'm going to cry for six months. So they also talked about what is love. And his response, true to his nature, was absolutely hilarious to me. And then I was like, wait a minute. I think he's right. He's- yeah, I forgot what he said. <laughs> Nicole asked him, she's like, Andre or Eric, what do you think love is? And he's like, I mean, first of all, love is a neurochemical con job. And I was like, yo. love is a neurochemical con job i fell out laughing but i feel like it is yeah thoughts (laughs) i don't know i don't know i think i don't know (laughs) i think it's a container let me clarify like i think it's a container i I always use the the concept of a container when people hear the word love they hear it based on their perception of what love is Mm -hmm. but when you're saying it it is a container for the things that you feel, the things you would do, 
And yeah, yeah, the, the actions and the feelings that you have with regard to this person. The word love is a container to hold those things. Mm, I'm a okay. fan of finding other vocabulary words to express that container. But in shorthand, you can say, I love you. Yeah. yeah. So I think when, when people think about love or when they answer that question, and even when he's talking about love as a neurochemical con job, it's because we're only using love from the initial infatuation phase when you're like, yeah. ooh, buzzing. And don't get me wrong. I love, we love, a, good, I love a good infatuation phase. Ooh. Listen, me too. And can we keep it? <laughs> no, no, I think you, I think, I think you can keep it. I think you can keep it. But yeah. the fall from grace is significant. <laughs> the fall from grace yeah, is whole roller coaster. But I do yeah. love a good infatuation phase. Mm-hmm. But I do recognize that the infatuation phase is probably a neurochemical con job. Yeah, yeah, because it's not sustainable, mm-hmm. and half the time it's not realistic. Because then, what are you infatuated with? The idea of this person? Yes, that's the best part. It- Can we stay here? Can we create a home here? Can we be Delulu? Yo, when I tell you, I saw this TikTok comment. This girl said, so Delulu is the Salulu? I love it. Because <laughs> girl, yes, it is. It's the solution to every all of my problems. Absolutely. My idea of you is better than you 99% yeah. of the time. But that's how you get messed up in the long-term stuff. That's, <laughs> yes, it's a kind job. Like, what is happening right in front of you? Is it love, though? It's infatuation. Really? But again, we said you, even you asking the question, is it love though? It's, it's limiting what love is. If we broaden it, going back to that concept of broadening to all these different types of love, like, yeah, it's in there. Talk to me. It's in there. What? Let me get, let me get my examples. Hold on. Come on. Talk to me. Talk to me. It might be Eros, which is love, mostly of the sexual passion. Yeah, bro. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) I love you, bro. Cause I'm I'm in the arrow stage with you right now. This is this is a vibe, bro. Like we're here. <laughs> and then you know, the ones in the friend zone, agape love, brotherly love. I love you. Yeah. I will never yeah. be arrows with you. Like ever. That's yeah. not gonna happen. But I do love you like a brother over here. You're gonna stay there. I hope you're happy with it. Cause you a brother. It's never gonna go beyond mm-hmm. that. And then. Was it philia, affectionate regard, friendship between equals? You could have, yeah, man. You, it could be yeah. love. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's fair. You, you, you clock me. You clock me. That's fair. That's fair. I just, I just think if you say it though, people's perception of love is so tiny that it's yeah. just gonna freak them out. Right. So even with my me saying, "Is it love?" Though I. I'll, I'll expand on that a little bit. I, I always talk about like, does it feel good? Even when we talk about the different levels of relationships, right? I always go into like, does this feel good for you? Like, does this feel like this person is consistent? Even friendships. But, but okay. What stages are we asking about the feel good? Because even a broken clock is right twice a day. Is right twice a day. <laughs> and sometimes like you <clears throat> might be asking, does this feel good? Yeah, but if you're asking me, will this feel good long term or when this person leaves or when this person goes home or when they're not around me? No, that part doesn't feel good. But everything leading up to that, hmm. I'm in the stratosphere, sis. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Didn't know. laughs> so what do I do? I don't know. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. 
So then my question is, if I came to you, mm-hmm. right, and, I, and I'm, I'm telling you about this person, and it could be different levels of toxic, whatever it is, right? Like, how would you give from like cousin friend perspective, like knowing that there's different definitions of love, right? Like, then what would you say? Well, I feel like that's a little bit vague, but if we're talking about what I know of the person, I'm assuming that if you're asking me for advice, I know you, I know what you want mm-hmm. in the end. So my answer 99% of the time is going to be with the ending in mind, not with the immediate. Okay. If I knew you were a fun time girl, I'd be like, enjoy yourself, <laughs> you know, but because yeah. I know you're the long-term girl, ah, we got to cut that one off. We got to put him okay. in the agape section. Or I put see. him in the in okay. the enemy section, right? Now, if it's just a random person, I don't, I can't say anything. Stop asking me. <laughs> I don't know you. What do you want in the end, at the end of the day? But um, I think we have to make room for all of our pieces to show up, okay. and it all fits in that container of love. Love is such a loaded, 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 loaded word. But if we can expand it, yeah, because it is the one of the most expansive energies, I think. If we can expand it, then it all kind of makes sense. Yes. I think the only thing I would add to that is people got to be honest about what they're doing. You're asking too much. Okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> well. Now you're asking for self-awareness, sis. And, they, and folks ain't got that. I mean, I know, but know that this is not, this is, a part of you knows that this is not it. My, my thing is don't convince yourself that it's something that it's not. That's that's my only thing, right? You can't change this is, them. You cannot change a person. And that is that conversation about therapy. You cannot change this person. So what decisions do you need to make? You you okay with this? Yeah. No? Okay. Then you got to move around. That's a hard decision. It's though. a hard decision. And I would venture to say it's probably harder for women to make. A lot more women are making it, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I love that. Love that for us. But it is harder for us because I think we have unique pressures to force an outcome, force a solution. Right. Anyway, yeah. love is a neurochemical con job. <laughs> <laughs> but we invite everyone to expand their definitions. But yeah, that was Why Won't You Date Me? Breaking Up with Eric Andre. And it was really funny. Again, he was the most chill person. I think we did it. Yeah, I think we did it. We, we gave you guys it. a medley. Hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not February, but we were a little love-centric in this episode. There was different types of love, but love nonetheless. So we hope that you'll go listen to the podcast mentioned and join Pod Club. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure you rate and subscribe to Pod Club everywhere you get podcasts. Five-star reviews only. Please do not play with me. Email us at podclub.podcast at gmail or send a voicemail to 832-919-8075 to give your take on topics discussed or to suggest some podcasts for us to listen to. And don't forget the socials. We are podclub.podcast on TikTok, IG, and YouTube. That's all for this week. Tune in Tuesday. Love you. Mean it. Bye.